When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. The Dave Hooker Show. A presentation of Off the Hook Sports. Objective insight, expertise, top guests. Available on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the Off the Hook Sports app. Download now for free. Also available on offthehooksports.com. I compute and obey. Now to Dave Hooker. Got some parameters with baseball season, softball season, football season, basketball season. You really have no parameters when it comes to Cruton. And that's what we're going to discuss today as Tennessee with the shakeup in their upcoming recruiting class, losing one commitment, but maybe trending really well for another couple of guys that might even be an upgrade. So a lot going on. Caleb Giroux will join us. Giroux does a fantastic job of covering recruiting on offthehooksports.com. So we've got a lot to get to on the program today. And as you might imagine, continued conference realignment talk. So we will get to that. And we got some cats that are on the docket for the Hall of Fame. The College Football Hall of Fame, which has always been a little bit odd to me in how they ultimately determine who makes the College Football Hall of Fame. I wish it was a little bit more simple, like the Basketball Hall of Fame that they have there in Springdale. Uh, Springdale, where, where? Massachusetts, right? Is it Massachusetts? Or where am I, Caleb? Where's the Basketball Hall of Fame that I just went to a few months ago? Nevertheless, they should just have one. So what you – I would prefer it be that as opposed to NFL and College Hall of Fame. I say that for all sports. But uh, anyway, how are you, Caleb Calhoun? Pretty good. Uh, looking it up, NBA's in Springdale, Massachusetts. College basketball is actually in Kansas City, Missouri, believe it or not. <laughs> so there is a separate one that the Basketball Hall of Fame just essentially trumps, right? Correct. Correct. Okay. So a couple of balls – that our longtime fan favorites are in the running and they're on the Hall of Fame ballot. 
why it's neat and it's fun to talk about. And I hope they all make it. I'm just going to tell you, these are not the first couple of guys that would be off the tip of the tongue or the top of the head for me. That means it's what the H. What the? What was he thinking? Release the hounds. The Dave Hooker Show. Keep cool. A presentation of offthehooksports.com. Okay, so Willie Galt and Larry Seavers are on the ballot for the Hall of Fame. Now, for one, the Hall of Fame in college is way, way, way behind. Willie Galt played in the 80s for Tennessee. Seavers was in the late 70s, early 80s. Correct me if I'm wrong, Caleb. I don't know why the College Football Hall of Fame isn't more reactive in some of its players making the Hall of Fame. And then Josh Heupel getting consideration as we went over in our 3.30 a.m. production meeting what do you make of those three? How do they immediately strike you? Well, Willie Galt and Larry Seavers, I have actually, the reason they're still on is they've been on the ballot quite a few times before and they just can't get in, it seems like. Right. I I got a lot. Between the two, I say this. Larry Seavers has a case. He was a two-time All-American. I think anytime you're a multi-time All-American, you have a case to be in the College Football Hall of Fame. That's almost like, you get that, that's a standard. Willie Galt, I know it was an All-American in 1982, but I have to be honest. I think Willie Galt is more famous as an overall elite athlete, not necessarily what he did specifically within the confines of the college football field. And so I'm not so sure he, I'm not so sure the case for him is as strong to be in the college football hall of fame, even though he was an incredible athlete. If you want to put him in some college athletics hall of fame, just like best athletes ever to play college, Willie Galt. I mean, you could put him in there with Deion Sanders and have them be next to each other. But in terms of specifically a college football player, he had one year, which was his senior year, in which he was All-American level with his production. And it wasn't like that one year was a record-breaking year like what Reggie White had in 1983. And so of the two, I think I understand Larry Seavers. Josh Heupel is obviously his playing days at Oklahoma. Many people felt he should have won the Heisman in 2000. But, you know, if you look at Josh Heupel's stats, they weren't that good that year he won the national title at Oklahoma. Yeah, but I also have to take that into the context of the times. So if, if his stats were good enough to make uh, be, be a Heisman Trophy runner-up, then they were pretty good, right? So I don't hold stats against them, just like I wouldn't hold stats of a 1960s quarterback throwing the ball around. Apparently, whatever he was doing at the time works. I don't have a problem with Josh Heupel being on the Hall of Fame ballot. I wouldn't have a problem with him getting in. I look at Seavers and Harper, and I don't want this to sound wrong because you can let a bunch of people in, okay? That's all well and good. And I've thought before maybe you should have different levels. But to put those names next to the guys that have got in recently – Al Wilson, a 2021 inductee, Eric Berry, a an upcoming uh, inductee. That to me, or he, Eric is it, and he went in last year. Excuse me. That those to me are two different levels of players. No, no offense against Seavers and Harper, and maybe it's because I covered a couple. Seavers and Galt. You mean you mean Seavers and Galt? Oh yes. What did I say? Sorry. Oh, Harper. you said Seavers oh, and yeah. Harper. <laughs> Galt. Um, and and I just to me those are two different levels of 
uh, of athletes. I mean, uh, Al Wilson, if he plays quarterback, wins a Heisman Trophy. There's no question. Uh, Eric Berry, if he wins a Heisman, if he plays quarterback instead of defensive back, he wins a Heisman Trophy. Those were ultra elite players is the point I'm trying to make where I think Galton Seavers were very, very good. And Hypo was very, very good. I, I just don't see them being of the same ilk. I'll throw in another name. I don't know how in the world we're not having a discussion of Dion Grant being in the College Football Hall of Fame. I would take them over every name I just mentioned, including Eric Berry. And you know how high I am on Eric Berry, okay? But I would even take Dion Grant over every single name we have mentioned other than Al Wilson on that group. I don't think Tennessee wins a national championship in 1998 without a Dion Grant that was able to be that safety net. I want to hear from more from the message board as far as players you think should definitely be in. But to me, Dion Grant, as far as a college football player, now that's the parameters, right? We're not talking about the basketball hall of fame. That is all levels to me. As far as a college football player, Dion Grant is right up there with changing the course of fo- college football, just like Peyton Manning did. And, and Peyton Manning changed it because he went to Tennessee and that led to great success at Tennessee because of the repercussions you had from what he was able to do. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you that if Dion Grant doesn't come to Tennessee and perhaps Uh, goes to Florida, as had been discussed, based off a recent conversation I had with Dion, or stays in Georgia, that's changing what happened in the late 90s and perhaps beyond of SEC football. That's changing the course of what happened. I'm sure Peyton Manning would have done the same thing, but Dion Grant, Cozy Coleman, Coleman and Jamal Lewis coming from Georgia to Tennessee, it changed the course of SEC football. There's no question. Dave, I'm going to say I think you're a victim of being so close to the program that you're relying a lot more on eye test, which I and, understand. And, you know, fo- And recency bias, too, which is very fair. I didn't see – and uh, I'm glad you went there because I didn't see Larry Seavers play firsthand. Right. But. So, I, so I, I get what your point is with eye test. Mm-hmm. But, okay, when you talk about, like – with the Hall of Fame, I don't think it goes with eye test. It goes with – accomplishments to a certain degree and okay yes Deion Grant did have nine interceptions in a year I think Chris White had nine interceptions in 1985 too I don't think anybody thinks Chris White should be in the college football hall of fame and and I I think it's so Peyton Manning's in because Peyton Manning Peyton Manning's in because of his 1997 season where he shattered offensive records and shattered every all SEC offensive record at the time known to man and that's what put him in the college football hall of fame Al Wilson's in the College Football Hall of Fame because of his really his leadership, not necessarily his stats as the leader of that 98 Tennessee team that won a national title. Mm-hmm. So I think we have we have to take accomplishments relative to the time. Larry Sears, now keep in mind, for those who don't know, in the late 1970s or mid-1970s, Tennessee was running the veer, meaning they weren't really throwing it all that much down the field. And Larry Sears in 1975, had 840 receiving yards, and then in 1976, had 737. That's unheard of for 1974 and 1975. The Crossville Comet, I'm with you. I'm not knocking him. I think he deserves to be in, too. Okay, I'm not saying an either-or thing. 
Okay. I, I don't know why you just don't relax the standards a little bit because the, the Galts of the world deserve to be in. The Seavers deserve to be in. I don't know why they're not in already. And if they were in five to 10 years after they played, then you would be able to celebrate them with people that remember them. A lot of our audience right now doesn't remember who Larry Seavers is. If I hadn't spent 25 years in this business, I might not either because he's a little bit older than me. So bring them in. I, I this is not if if you go to the college basket if you go to the basketball hall of fame it is a huge huge building that if they bring in a bunch more guys they're going to have to build a wing I'm not kidding I mean it's packed tight but with the college football hall of fame goodness gracious I mean where is it even located they just put up a bust it's no big deal they've got like fifteen thousand people in it just put put more dudes in it but. What you're saying statistically is absolutely right. If you want to go uh, Galt, if you want to go Larry Seavers, but changing the course of football in the SEC, that's what Dion Grant, Jamal Lewis, and Cozy Coleman did. We'd be talking about Georgia having another title or maybe Florida instead of Tennessee having a national title. Yeah, but I would argue Larry Seavers and Willie Galt changed the course of the SEC, particularly Lily, Willie Galt. But wide receiver you started with Larry Seavers in 75 and 76. And then Majors okay. came in. And the real the the changing game for wide receiver you was actually, a lot of people don't know this, but Tennessee's 1982 upset of Alabama, where I believe it was Walt Harris was the offensive coordinator. Was that his name at the time? He and Walt Majors, Harris, yep. they had sat down and realized that they were the ones to realize Alabama can't cover three receivers all game. So they went vertical in 1982 and no one saw that coming. And that's really what set in. That was with Willie Gall. And that set in motion, Tennessee being wide receiver U. That also set in motion a school like Florida being willing to hire back Steve Spurrier in 1990. Because honestly, if it wasn't for Tennessee doing wide receiver U, the concept of a fun and gun would never have happened in the 90s, which totally changed the SEC in the future but tennessee started that under majors spreading the field all right on the message board who would you have in the college football hall of fame who would you have in immediately um and obviously hypo galt and sievers are up there but i'm going to go ahead and throw in Dion grant uh, I, I don't think tennessee wins a championship i think if if obviously Al Wilson is the most important factor on that team, I think he is a strong second tier type of player. I'll go ahead and put Fred White in there, but, but definitely Dion Grant, other players from that team. It was such a team effort that I don't know that you have other players from that team, maybe T Martin, but we'll go ahead and check and see if they're already in the college football hall of fame. If you want to give us uh, your thoughts. So the question I'll ask of you, Caleb, would you put Seavers Galt, or Dion Grant. You've got only one vote. It's the Caleb Calhoun vote. Vote for Jamal Lewis. We'll get to that. It's the Caleb Calhoun vote. It's the Calhoun caveat is what it is. He gets to pick one guy a year that goes in amongst the group I give him. So we'll ask Caleb that. Brought to you by Andy Mason. AndyMasonRealEstate.com. He'll save you thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars. AndyMasonRealEstate.com. Over 40 years of experience in his office. AndyMasonRealEstate.com is phenomenal. Travis says, Galt, if you only get one vote between... Now, I'm including the four, too. So, I'm including Hypel. I'm including Galt, Seavers, 
and Dion Grant. And uh, somebody I, says that Caleb will pick Butch Jones. He's not going to pick no, Butch Jones. I'll pick Derek Dooley, guys, obviously. <laughs> um, yes, he loves him some Dooley. Go to AndyMasonRealEstate.com. So who are you picking among the group that we have? I think it's actually pretty easy for me. I have a rule. If you're a two-time All-American, you're automatically in. Larry Sievers is a two-time All-American. If you do that, if do it, being an All-American one year, a lot of people can do. He did it twice. He's in. And by the way, there are people that What was Dion Grant? Was he a, he was a one-time just All-American? One, just one just one time, 99. Okay, who had the bigger impact on Tennessee's football program, Larry Sievers or Dion Grant? Okay, if you speak just from the vacuum of Tennessee football on the field, field, probably Deion Grant. I mean, the dude had – I mean, again, he's the reason Tennessee wins a national title. Larry Seavers was through a really bad period of Tennessee football history in the 70s. But, I mean, that's like saying, okay, T. Martin had a bigger impact on Tennessee, I would say, than Casey Clawson. But I I think we both agree Casey, Casey was probably a better quarterback. Wow, that's that's a different conversation for another day because I think they let Casey do everything once he was healthy. I don't think they let T. Martin do half of what he was capable. All right, crazy, of crazier comparison. See the whole like doing, you know, having a bigger impact. We both agree that Heath Schuler had a bigger long term impact on Tennessee than Peyton Manning, but Peyton Manning was better, and he belongs in the Hall of Fame over Heath Schuler. If you have to pick between the two. Hey, now. Can't argue with that. All right. Today's tough question. A couple is... others. Just yes, sorry. There's a few others who belong in the Hall of Fame, and it's ridiculous that these people aren't. I just wanted to name them real quick, but John Henderson should be in the College Football Hall of Fame. Outland Trophy winner, two time All American. That should be an automatic Hall of Fame. Completely stupid that he's not. Yes. Completely stupid. Jackie Walker should be in the Hall of Fame. Two time All American, the first black captain in the SEC. In 1972 or 73, he belongs. Maybe it was 71. And finally, my last like clear-cut one, Dale Carter. Insane that Dale Carter is not in the Hall of Fame. Played two years of Division One football and was an All-American both years. Uh, I'm with you. I, I mean, I, I've got no – I don't understand why there's not more dudes in there. How many – can you run this search for me real quick? Can you search how many – players slash coaches are in the college football hall of fame and how many players slash coaches are on the NFL or in the NFL hall of fame. So it's about, it's about 1100 for college football. Okay. And what's, what's the NFL? And there are looking at now about 360 in the NFL. Okay, so they've been playing organized college football with four times the teams for about twice the amount of time. Yes, for almost 160 years. Like organized college football. There should be like 2,500 or 3,000 in the college football Hall of Fame. Should there not? There should. Organized college football started the same year the first professional baseball team played the Cincinnati Red Stockings in 1869, I believe. It, organized college football is as old as major, as, as, as old as professional baseball in this country. And yeah, uh, it's a celebration and they basically got a broom closet. So they put another bust in it. It's not like they go to all the 
Rigor Moran that uh, the the Basketball Hall of Fame goes to, or even the NFL. Today's tough question. Let's talk player coaches. There's some good ones, and Josh Heupel happens to be one. Today's tough question. Take a side. Take a stand. The Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of OffTheHookSports.com. All right, Caleb Calhoun, here we go. So we got this guy named Josh Heupel. He was a pretty good player. He's turning into a really good coach. So let's discuss Vols, who were great college players and coaches. Who is atop that list? It's hard to go any direction other than Johnny Majors, who is second for uh, Heisman and won a national championship at Pitt, was knocking on the door at Tennessee. It's pretty difficult to find anybody as far as great college football players and coaches that played for Tennessee that are any better than Johnny Majors. I challenge you to find one that's even in that ballpark, sir. By the way, we get to recruiting news coming up with Caleb Giroux as Tennessee loses one commitment but might be on the verge of another big-time get. Player, coaches, what do you got, Caleb? Well, there's one that actually might have Majors beat. Because he's the he is in the College Football Hall of Fame as a player and as a coach, of which Majors is not in as a coach yet. And that would be Bowden Wyatt. Okay. Well, I, I don't understand why Majors isn't in as a coach. But anyway, go ahead. No, he should I agree. He should be in as a coach. But if he got in as a coach, it'd be for what he did at Pittsburgh. Bowden Wyatt would be would still be in for what he did at Tennessee. Another one who's in as a player and a coach, even though he didn't coach at Tennessee, Bobby Dodd, who is the most legendary coach of Georgia Tech history. And here's a crazy one. There are only four people in the College Football Hall of Fame as a player and a coach. Two play for Tennessee. A third just happens to be one of Tennessee's most hated nemesis, and that's Steve Spurrier. (laughs) Well, let's do this for a second. So you've got Bowden Wyatt in our meeting this morning. It was Bowden Wyatt, uh, Johnny Majors, Bobby Dodd, Doug Dickey, Philip Fulmer, Josh Heupel. Those are the players, coaches with Tennessee ties. Right. If I could go back in history and change things, and Tennessee was willing to throw the ball around, and they could get a young Steve Spurrier, and he had the same success at Tennessee that he had at Florida, which is a national title and a Heisman Trophy. These other guys, no knock, even Johnny Majors, who you know I love, Hell in comparison to that resume with Steve Spurrier. Best resume, complete resume in college football. Yeah. Won a Heisman and a national championship as a head coach. And by the way, Tennessee was so far ahead of Florida as a program in the 60s. If they were throwing the ball around and they decided to get Steve Spurrier, I think they win a national championship with Spurrier as a player under Doug, not under Doug Diggy, but if they hire somebody else who likes to throw the ball. And then I think that he wins one at Tennessee as a coach. You're right. Josh Heupel could approach that though. Could Josh Heupel, what if Josh Heupel wins a national title at Tennessee, gets in the college football hall of fame as a player and then goes as a coach that, that that's the most accomplished. That is Steve Spurrier then, right? Yeah. How many guys got, have gotten in as player and coach? I'd be interested if, if you have time to look that up. Oh, it's um, four. It's four. Oh, it's just four. Just four, including two people who played for Tennessee, Bobby Dodd and Balm Wyatt. And then Steve Spurrier, who's from Tennessee. That's three of the four. Right who's, the fourth? who's the fourth 
uh alonzo stag played at yale like old school history oh that's like real that. old school that's like caleb yeah. Giroux, old school so uh speaking of caleb Giroux, we'll get to him here momentarily we're gonna talk some cruton as tennessee loses uh, a really highly rated prospect but why that might not be such a big deal but with i mean what would what would Josh Hype will have to do? He'd have to win three national titles to supplant Steve Spurrier's entire career as a player coach, right? Because right now you have Steve Spurrier with a Heisman Trophy as a player, and you have him with a national championship and what five SEC championships? Six. I mean, it would be six. Six. Okay, so it would be really tough for Hype to supplant Steve Spurrier as a better player coach for a hall of fame consideration correct pretty much impossible. yeah and there's also a strong debate of whether or not bobby dodd has spurrier beat too but yes the the thing with hypel that would be difficult with so what outweighs what hypel did finish second in the heisman not first like spurrier did but he did win a national championship at oklahoma and went undefeated does that outweigh spurrier winning the heisman at a time when like again we would all agree hypel had more competition for the heisman than spurrier did you know, it's funny. We could go back and forth over this. I, winning a Heisman is a big deal. It would be a big deal in my voting. Winning a national championship as a player, not a coach, is not as big of a deal because it's a team sport. But it's the I, that's true. But if you're the reason for the national championship, I know we get kind of into the weeds of you know was 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 player X the primary reason they won? Like I could look at a Tommy Frazier with Nebraska. And I could say I give him more credit as a quarterback than, shall we say, T. Martin as a quarterback of winning the national title. I, I don't think there's a lot of Tommy Frazier's walking around that could have done the same thing for that Nebraska team. I think there were more T. Martins walking around that could have done it. Is that blasphemy? No, that's not at all. I give Cam Newton more credit for his national title than every Alabama quarterback that's won a national title in the saving era. Okay, let's uh, get thoughts, <laughs> audio thoughts from the message board on what I just said. Well, let's play it, actually, so you can hear it. Why don't you shut the hell up? You suck. Uh, probably. All right, so in two minutes, the latest on Tennessee football recruiting. Caleb Giroux crushing it. He is known as the uh, greatest young recruiting journalist in probably the history of the Internet. So two minutes. Why this guy JT Harrell is not a monstrous loss and why Tennessee could be on the verge of getting not ghosted, but his name might have something to do with the ghost. Did you figure out where I'm going there, Caleb? Not what does a ghost say on? Boo. Ah, boo. Sun, sand, and salt water. The beach is a very relaxing place. Unless you wear contacts. Ow! Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK Vision Correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center. Ah. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. There's your bear.
Our family has been creating one-of-a-kind pieces of jewelry in West Knoxville since 1986. Each piece is a combination of unique processes that bring your idea to life. Every day in our shop, a truly special item with a story all its own is being manufactured in our facility, bringing the history and family sentiment into a whole new generation of life. We are grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler, a title that we value and respect. Because to me, being a jeweler and owning a jewelry store are not the same thing. I'm Rick Terry, I'm a jeweler, and we want to be your jeweler. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street right next to the Tennessee Theater. When you want a hard cider that's easy to enjoy, one that's crafted to perfection, you need Tennessee Cider Company. Some say it's the signature cider of the South. Others say it's the cure to your craving. They all say you'll savor every sip. With a selection of ciders free to sample, all it takes is one taste. Visit TNCiderCompany.com for more information, as well as to shop our ciders and merchandise online. Thirsty yet? Doors open at 10 a.m. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Um, who's this guy? Hello, wizard. The Dave Hooker Show. Ooh. A presentation of Off the Hook Sports. What? YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. Back to Dave Hooker. <laughs> Sorry. Goodness gracious, what's going on, Caleb Calhoun? When I sneeze, I sneeze multiple times. You allergic to good content? Uh, yep. It's exactly what, what about my tease right before the break with the boo thing? Did you get that? You got it just as we went to break. How good was yes, that? Yes, I got it. I got it. Such a dad joke. <laughs> That's good stuff. All right, Caleb Drew, <clears throat> pardon me, joins us now with uh, OffTheHookSports.com. He's also the sports editor of the Daily Beacon. His future is brighter than a white dwarf star. It's growing every day. Are you familiar with the white dwarf star, Caleb? I am not familiar with stars. Okay. No. So we need uh, nicknames for you guys, like uh, since you both have the first name, Caleb, like Double C and CJ. I think CJ was actually the helicopter pilot on Magnum PI, but I could be wrong on that. Here we go. Uh, if you have a question about any recruits, go ahead and get on board now. Post them on the message board, and we'll ask Caleb Jaru about them. But a lot has changed in the past uh, 24 hours. Caleb, get us caught up to speed. Yeah, well, uh, Late last night, probably the biggest one is J.J. Harrell, Mississippi, number one wide receiver in Mississippi, decommitted from Tennessee. He had been committed since February, and I don't think that this move was really a surprise for anybody. He um, he had been very clear that even though he was committed, his recruitment was open, and being open means that he was taking visits to Ole Miss and Mississippi State, and Lane Kiffin got in there and really, I guess, got to him because he's trending now for Ole Miss. 
So he decommitted last night, said he rushed his decision – rushed his decision – whoa, rushed his decision <laughs> and that he uh, that he uh, was dealing with injury and he just had a bunch on his mind when he committed. So now he said he's 100% healthy and he's going to go into the recruiting process with a clear mind now. TJ, by the way, was the helicopter pilot on Magnum P.I. But so is this a big loss for Tennessee? Uh, Absolutely not. Yes. No. Absolutely. Yes. I would probably say no. The only thing, if he was a defensive back, my decision, would, my opinion would be different. But since he's a wide receiver and we know that Josh Heupel can recruit wide receivers pretty easily for this offense, I'd say that it's probably not as big of a loss. The only thing now is there's no room for error with recruiting the other wide receivers that Josh Heifel wants. You have to get your, you know, your Mike Matthews, your Amari Jefferson. There's no room for error now to lose one of those guys. Well, tell me about Mike Matthews, a five-star guy, and then Amari Jefferson, a Chattanooga native. What do you think of Tennessee's chances in replacing the Herald vacancy with him? Or did Tennessee perhaps trade up purposefully? Well, I don't think Tennessee traded up personally. I know there were some talks that uh, Harrell was kind of upset that um, Tennessee was recruiting other wide receivers. He wanted to be the one of the only guys or like one of two. So I think it was more on his side more than Tennessee's. But I do think Amari Jefferson is probably their sure bet at wide receiver right now. He's committed to Tennessee for baseball. So he obviously likes Tennessee enough to commit for one sport. Now it's just a matter of he wants to play football, which recently – his football attention has kind of outweighed the baseball attention he had before. Like you said, he's an in-state guy from Chattanooga. I don't see how he doesn't end up at Tennessee. That would probably, that would be a very big loss for them. And then talking about Mike Matthews, he's a Georgia guy who's probably leaning Tennessee at this point. He's a, he's gotten a lot of attention from Clemson and USC as well. Georgia and Alabama are in the mix, but it seems like he's leaning more towards a Clemson or a Tennessee type school. And he'll be taking, um, He's a two-way guy, but he'll be a wide receiver at Tennessee. And he was at the Alabama game in the fall. So he got really the full Neyland Stadium experience at its best, I would say. So I feel like they're in a good position for both of those guys. I'd say if I had to put money on it, I'd say Amari Jefferson over Mike Matthews. But Mike Matthews has quickly trended to be one of the top receivers on Tennessee's board. Let's get to Caleb Calhoun, the double C from the CJ, and his if, if he has any thoughts. But I, th- I think one of the – Things that you brought up uh, briefly that I wanted to touch base on. If they lose Harrell and they pick up Jefferson and or Matthews, this is not a step in the wrong direction, especially with Matthews. And then Jefferson probably doesn't have quite the size that you would love at every receiver position, but neither did um, neither does Squirrel White. So they can excel in that slot position. So that's, you know, I think he's about 6'1", 180, correct me if I'm wrong. So I think he would kind of fit into that position but Caleb there is Calhoun I'm sorry and I was going to write a column about this today there is more shifting going on that we've seen in previous years with the early signing day early signing period and I think that's because everybody's just figuring out what the H is going on to be real honest with you so just because you commit in May or June does not mean you're locked in. It's like the old days. You might commit in August, but you might change your mind in November or December. I think you're going to see more of that, not to get sidetracked, but that's why you don't need to be ripping prospects on social media, Tennessee fans. Just going <laughs> to go ahead and tell you that because they could end up considering your school once again. Double C, take it where you need to. 
Yeah, and even if they don't consider your school this year, they could consider your school after they're at the other school. Because of oh, as a transfer, that's a yes. great point. Okay, yes. you just made my and, column even better. Go ahead. And I'm, you know, also, and this is fans of every college football fan base. You don't own, you don't have a right to these prospects. You know, they're making a tough decision all the time. I, I look, Harold. Do I think this was a smart decision? No, I don't think it's smart to run from playing time. I think you embrace your chance to start at Tennessee because if you can get into the rotation. Heupel's going to turn you into an NFL draft pick as a wide receiver more than any other school. But so I, I understand breaking things down from that nature, but yes, I I've never been the biggest fan of the way schools sometimes or fan bases go at some of these recruits. I will say that Jerry, we're talking about receivers. Dave wrote an article a column last week. And I, we've talked about it last week too, on the show about just how crucial this is of a recruiting month for Heupel. I think one of the I think we all agree that it's crucial in terms of what he can get beyond just the skills he excels, the positions he excels at quarterback receiver. Like he needs to start loading up um, in the trenches at defensive back. Regardless of what happens here at receiver, is, is are there reasons to be concerned to be concerned or excited that June could be a big month for him at uh, in the trenches and on defense in general? Well, I would say excited, like a uh, Dave joked about earlier with Boo Carter, he's committing on June 17th. So he'll be this month and he'll at Tennessee, he's going to be a defensive back, a secondary guy, defensive back or safety. And he's obviously been leaning Tennessee, his whole recruitment. So I feel like for him, that'd be another big pickup. You strengthen your secondary. Now, as for defensive guys, obviously you just lost out on Sammy Brown um, yesterday as well. He ended up committing to Clemson. He was on campus for the 865 live taking an official visit. Now, for him, I would correct me if I'm wrong. His mullet is still undecided. That fit right in in Knoxville. (laughs) Yeah, probably, probably, (laughs) probably Panama City Beach where I'm vacationing. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, so I wouldn't call him a loss. Tennessee took a big swing there, and but he was. I'm surprised he went to Clemson. I'm not surprised he didn't come to Tennessee. I thought he was going to be Georgia, and then. Yesterday, we also had Cameron Fountain commit. He was a defensive lineman. Now, that was very strange. I would call that a bigger loss than J.J. Harrell decommitting just because Cameron Fountain was leaning Tennessee. He was just on campus, and then he went and committed to USC. That's one that I wouldn't be surprised if Tennessee does keep recruiting him heavily, even though he's committed to USC. His original commitment timeline was going to be early August, so before his school year started, he wanted to be committed. And so he obviously committed earlier than his timeline. I wouldn't be surprised if Tennessee keeps active there. There might be a flip or even like Calhoun said, like down the road in one or two years, if Cameron Fountain doesn't like LA and wants to come to Knoxville and the transfer portal, then those relationships will already be there. So I think June, I don't know how many, with the new cycle and the way it works, I don't know how many commitments we'll have in June, but I think the official visits that Heifel and them are rolling out the orange carpet now for these big defensive prospects will pay off in the long run. So double C, what did you think about the fountain losses? Someone posted on board, someone turned the fountain off. That one I'm with Jaru. That one shocked me, but I, I, again, edge is actually one spot on defense where it's like receiver where I don't think Tennessee is hurting at edge long-term. I think where they're hurting more is 
offensive line, specifically in the middle at defensive tackle, and then the rest of the defense. But actually, Edge is – I mean, they got Joshua Joseph, James Pierce. They, they got guys for the future. So I think they're actually going to be okay at Edge. And I think that might have been what pushed him away. Is it a red flag, curiously, and I'll ask either of you guys this, is it a red flag that Tennessee has suffered multiple decommits at wide receiver with this 24 class, 2024 class? Because don't forget, Mazio Bennett decommitted back in 2022 and went to South Carolina. Was Mazio Bennett or was the other South Carolina guy? No, you're right. But I think with I have a theory on guys, this. After, I have a theory on this after you, Jeru. I really do. <clears throat> I was going to say with both of these guys, it's kind of like Tennessee was in there early, but they always wanted to be at their in-state schools. So I think I don't think if Alabama offered Mazio Bennett if he would leave South Carolina, just because he grew up South Carolina fan, he's from around the area. Like I just think he was going to be South Carolina, and it just took Shane Beamer for some reason an unknown amount of time to figure out that he had a four or five star wide receiver thirty minutes down the road. Well, and he also had an offense that the guy wanted to be a part of suddenly, and and he didn't have that until November with the Clemson and Tennessee wins. So here are my other thoughts. I think Tennessee is adapting at receiver, and it's the way that I've exactly said the whole time that they have to adapt. They have to go toe-to-toe with the big cats, right? So, Jaru, tell me if I'm wrong. Your boot's on the ground, all right? Um my thinking is that with the receiver, we're starting to see this happen, that Tennessee may have been in early, Harold's an example, of a guy, and then suddenly they realize they can go toe-to-toe with some Georgias and Alabamas and Southern Californias of the world and win those battles. I'm not saying they told Harold to go away, but I do think there feels like to me, and from what I hear, a mindset of they can go in and they can land the top receivers in the country based off what they have done. You'll eventually see this happen in other positions, but right now they can be picky at receiver. Mr. Jones stole that uh, from me on the message board. Yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly where they are. They they have leverage at receiver. Not sure they have leverage at other positions yet, but they have leverage at receiver. Yeah, and I agree. It's no longer throwing offers at who, and seeing what sticks, it's now like, hey, we can pick which guys fit our system. And you see it a little more on the defensive side, especially early on in Heupel's time at Tennessee. They were just throwing out throwing out all these offers and seeing like what they can get, just trying to build depth, build a roster. And now you see Tim Banks and the defensive staff taking more of a approach where like, hey, they really liked Cameron Fountain's build and that he was a downhill rusher and could be aggressive in their system. So they went after him versus – just going after whatever edge was available on the market. So I agree. And I said it earlier with the JJ Harold decommitment wide receiver is probably the last position we should worry about for Josh Heifel's offense. Cause like we've said in the past, like if for some reason they miss out on every wide receiver in this class, which obviously would not be good, but if they did, then they can just go in the transfer portal and get proven guys like they did with Dante Thornton and still have depth. Yep. Uh, absolutely agree. How about some four downs? Double C and CJ. Can I make that a thing? Double C. Well, actually, you know, my first name is John, so it could be JC and CJ. JC and CJ. Let's make it <laughs> using as humanly possible. Four yeah. downs <laughs> brought to you today. Talking Crute and brought to you by Craft Treats. Go to crafttreats.com. Four downs. Four questions. 
four answers. The Dave Hooker Show. Four. 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 Bounds. A presentation of offthehooksports.com. All right. So to give you some historic reference, scale of one to ten, one is when Phil Sims's son, what's his name again, Calhoun? Chris Sims. Chris Sims, when he decided not to go to UT and then blamed it on racial segregation within the team, it was the worst non-commitment in the history of Tennessee football. That's a one in terms of bad losses. A 10 in terms of great gets is Peyton Manning or Heath Schuler because of the way they can affect your recruiting moving forward. So scale of one to ten, losing Sammy Brown is Caleb Giroux. Yeah, I'd say a three or four, just because he was not favored to come to Tennessee. Obviously, he did like Tennessee, and he said he enjoyed meeting with the defensive staff. So kind of, and we're still early on in Heupel's tenure. You got to think like they had; they were probably the third school. He committed to Clemson, so that'd be one. Georgia was two. I'd say Tennessee was probably three for him. Yes. So, may pay in the long run, but honestly, from what I've been reading and what I was told, Sammy Brown going to Clemson, um, he just wanted to play. If you go to Georgia, you have to sit one or two years because they have the best linebackers in the country. Clemson, he liked the campus, he prayed on it, and he could play year one. So, and we'll see what happens, but I don't think it's that big of a loss just because he was never – assumed that'd be like if boo carter didn't go to tennessee it'd be a massive loss but sammy brown was not expected to come to tennessee so uh, it's it's whatever okay that leads me to second down what is boo waiting for and does he end up at tennessee i don't know what he's waiting for i would be very surprised if he didn't end up at tennessee did not end up at tennessee he tennessee's the only sec school in his top schools he has Flirted with Michigan, Colorado. Deion Sanders is his main recruiter at Colorado, which is always a little scary. I think he's just want a guy who's going to enjoy the process and get a lot of attention and probably build his NIL persona or his profile, I guess, with his big commitment and stuff like that. But I would be very surprised if he didn't end up at Tennessee. And if he didn't end up at Tennessee, we've seen him transfer three high schools. He might come back to Tennessee as a sophomore. That's true. He could transfer back with Sammy Brown's mullet. Caleb, I I think he's enjoying the recruiting process. I think he is. I think he likes the attention. I think he ends up at Tennessee. I think if he were to go to Colorado, he would end up back at Tennessee a year later and transfer back. So I think Boo is eventually a ball. But yeah, I mean, I whenever you – Oh, I was going to say, whenever you get like a five-star, four-star like Boo is, like – why not enjoy the process if everybody in the country is want you? Yep. That's exactly, exactly what my son said. <laughs> Go bunch ahead. Of free stuff. <laughs> yeah, take exactly. advantage of it. Uh, where I push back is on first down. I actually think it's a little bit higher of a loss. And the reason is because he committed to Clemson. And I've said from the start that key for Tennessee football going forward, there's not space. There's not room for Tennessee and Clemson to exist as powerhouses in the same space. So when they have recruiting battles, Tennessee doesn't have to beat Georgia but they can't lose to Clemson. And I think that was the only, that's the only issue with Sammy Brown committing. I think I, love about I think Sammy Dabo is. accidentally, I think that's Dabo right. accidentally got a commitment from Sammy Brown. Kind of got fell in the right spot. Could be. Yeah. 
the thing I love most of all about his mullet is that it's more of a Kentucky waterfall mullet because it's curly and it's kind of got that going down the back of your head sort of look, you know, like it's a waterfall that happens in Kentucky. That's what I like. No idea what you're referring to, Dave. Sorry. <laughs> I, didn't know the, I didn't know the waterfalls water. are different. When you have a curly mullet, it looks like it's flowing down rocks. So it's a Kentucky waterfall. Our recruiting update in four downs brought to you by Craft Treats. Go to crafttreats.com. Use the promo code off the hook before I tell you uh, who is the most important prospect from this past weekend, not named Boo. Uh, I want to remind you that you go to crafttreats.com and they have their chill pills with the CBD derivative that is awesome for your pet's digestive issues, social anxiety, or also arthritis as well. Crafttreats.com. Use the promo code off the hook, the promo code off the hook. All right. So who from this past weekend, this past little recruiting cycle that we've seen is Tennessee most likely to get not named Boo? We know that it's not going to be Sammy Brown, but out of this last little group that's shown interest in Tennessee in the past seven to 10 days, what do you got? I'm going to take the low hanging fruit and say uh, Spillman, Edwin Spillman out of Nashville. His brother plays for Tennessee. He's a guy who has told everybody he's going to enjoy the recruiting process, not let his brother being at Tennessee affect his decision, but he's still an in-state guy, still a Tennessee fan. And he's been, he spends a lot of time on campus and he spends a lot of time with his brother and he just is trending towards Tennessee. So I'll take the easy way out and say Spielman. All right. So last thing. Typical Nashville down. kid who is going to boost Tennessee's recruiting rankings, but is not actually going to be that valuable on campus. Sorry. You hate said it. Nashville kids. <laughs> Jalen Hurd soured <laughs> me on Nashville kids. Jalen Hurd was a five-star. How in the world was he a five-star? Well, I mean, if you line him up the off formation, he might have been a five star. Um, <laughs> okay. They just—he was just a terrible fit for what they were doing. Okay, who from this past weekend would be the biggest get? Forget about Leans. We know Sammy Brown is out of the conversation. At least I'm going to take him out of the conversation. Commitments are non-binding, but I'm moving him out. Who from the past weekend would be the biggest get? I'll say offensive tackle Daniel Calhoun. I'm not a big fan of Tennessee piling up three-star offensive linemen. I understand, and Calhoun said it before, like that's a hard top, hard position to scout. You know, a coach might see something that another coach doesn't, stuff like that. But you have to have size in the trenches and get true tested guys. And, I mean, Daniel Calhoun, six foot, six and a half, 330 pounds. He has a, an official visit locked in with Tennessee already. He was here for the 865 live event. Meeting other commits and learning why they committed, you know, Jake Merklinger, the quarterback for the 24 class, the linemen who are already committed. He spent a ton of time with those guys and with Ellerby during the event. So I feel like Tennessee is in a very good spot with Calhoun and Daniel Calhoun. And the only thing is he also has official visits with Georgia, Texas, Alabama, and Auburn. So Tennessee has their work cut out for them there, but I think he would be a huge get physically and just for the class as a whole. Good stuff. What can we expect out of you on offthehooksports.com, Caleb Giroux? Well, we'll see a little bit of 2026 uh, quarterback action today. Oh, who we got 2026 quarterback action? Uh, Josiah uh, Oxenride was camping with the balls this past week, so talked to him a little bit, and Halsey seems to like him, so 
We'll see what he has to say. Yeah, it's time to move on. I mean, it, that one guy, Nico, he's had enough time. If he can't get it rolling, it's time to get out. Don't let Old the big news. orange door hit you in the rear headed house. <laughs> that is recruiting, man. It's constantly churning. So let's start looking for the, the next great guy uh, for the Vols. Great stuff as uh, always. I think Calhoun, I'm going to take that. I'm going to take yours out of this past group. They they need some four- and five-star offensive linemen, Cats. And right now, the mindset from within within the program that I've been told is to, to develop these guys. Well, I mean, that's worked with Darnell Wright, got the right mindset. Uh, Cooper Mays grew into a fantastic uh, all-SEC type of player. But that seems risky long-term. I think you want the guys that are coming out of high school benching 400 pounds as you know i I just think that seems seems a little butchish uh to me butch jones no other reference caleb jeru we look forward to it thank you as always sir all right i'll see y'all later caleb throwing high hot heat and nick saban is scared is scared that's what was discussed on the Paul Feinbaum show. So we'll discuss that as apparently Nick Saban is just afraid and he needs help and he needs to be cuddled and held and maybe a nice warm chicken noodle soup would benefit him because he's scared, according to one media outlet. Caleb, is Nick Saban scared? We'll discuss two minutes off the sports. to own the more that owns every job then get the Vasti Lawn and Garden in Cleveland and get you a Toro. I'm David Vasti here to talk to you about Toro. With a Toro Zero Turn you'll get more out of every minute and you'll reach the finish line faster. At Vasti's we like to say no matter if you're mowing three acres a week or 11 lawns a day homeowners and business owners alike find confidence in equipment they can trust from top to bottom. Vasti Lawn and Garden Highway 60 North in Cleveland. Man alive it's worth the drive. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. Our family has been creating one-of-a-kind pieces of jewelry in West Knoxville since 1986. Each piece is a combination of unique processes that bring your idea to life. Every day in our shop, a truly special item with a story all its own is being manufactured in our facility, bringing the history and family sentiment into a whole new generation of life. We are grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler, a title that we value and respect. Because to me, being a jeweler and owning a jewelry store are not the same thing. I'm Rick Terry. I'm a jeweler, and we want to be your jeweler. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street right next to the Tennessee Theater. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With all that sun, sand, and salt water, the beach is a very relaxing place. Unless you wear contacts. Ow! Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK Vision Correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center. Ah. Objective coverage. Hey, that's new. If we get cut, we're going to jail. The Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of Off the Hook Sports. YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. I'm going to need to see some identification. Back to Dave Hooker. I think that probably more than most, I defend Nick Saban outside of those that cover Alabama football on a regular basis. And I do so because I think what he's done is not even generational. It's like multi-generational. It's once every 50, 75 years type of stuff. So I'm not one to jump on board and just say he's all out scared. Uh, I don't say that lightly. And I want to discuss what SEC Mike, uh, Mike Bratton, said on the Paul Feinbaum show, this was back on Friday, and this goes back to some scheduling issues, and it leads us into today's tough question. Today's tough question brought to you by Campbell Cunningham, Taylor, and Han. Look, no glasses, no contacts. I got LASIK. It is time for today's tough question. Today's tough question. Take a side. Take a stand. The Dave Hooker Show. A presentation of offthehooksports.com. Okay, so this is what Mike Bratton had to say on Paul Feinbaum, and he's active on the Twitter. And I assume he does a streaming show, because who doesn't? But he said, quote, it looks to me like Nick Saban is afraid of competition. He's running for the hills because Kirby and Georgia are taking over the SEC, and I think it's a short-sighted approach. All because last time I checked, Alabama plays Tennessee, LSU, and Auburn every year. I realize we're getting away from the division, so maybe he was hoping to escape those top-tier programs facing his decaying Alabama program. The thing that he's overlooking is we're getting away from the SEC West. We all know that's the toughest division all of college football. And if they've got to play LSU, Tennessee, and Auburn, guess what? They get to drop AM. They get to drop Ole Miss. They get to drop Arkansas and insert Vanderbilt, Kentucky, and Missouri. At the end of the day, I think it all evens out. It's not just Nick Saban having to face these teams. It's the entire league. I think he needs to get with the program. And that to me is just another sign there's fear in Nick Saban's voice. <clears throat> is there fear in Nick Saban's voice when he discusses the fact that he doesn't want to play LSU, Auburn, and Tennessee? on a regular basis is that fear because of the direction of his program, which I think you and I would agree is not nearly as stellar as it was before Kirby smart did what he did and is doing what he's doing in Georgia. So today's tough question 
brought to you by Campbell Cunningham, Taylor, and Hahn. Nick Saban scared. Where he is at this point in, in his career, is he simply scared, Caleb Calhoun? And you can branch off that, but yay or nay on the scared part first. Yay, but I yes, I think he is a little scared, but I don't blame him. I have to be honest. I, I Okay, the 3-6 model that was proposed was leaked on the proposed rivals. We all agree that two teams, there's Tennessee with its scheming, but from a recruiting standpoint, the two teams that are Nick Saban's biggest barriers now are going to be LSU and Georgia, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not sure Tennessee is going to, I don't think Tennessee is going to create a barrier ahead of Alabama ever. I just think that they could out scheme Alabama and recruit close to their level. But Georgia and LSU are actually in their way recruiting wise. Nick Saban is looking at Kirby Smart's competition, he's looking at the future. The leak was that Alabama would have to play Auburn, Tennessee, and LSU every year. Georgia would have to play Florida, Kentucky, and Auburn every year. By every metric, Georgia, which is already a better recruiting ground than Alabama, is going to have an easier SEC schedule than Alabama every single year with that slate. Agreed, but can I stop you on one thing? We're talking about long-term. We don't know that Brian Kelly will be... At LSU, you and I both think so long-term. We don't know how the Hugh Freeze thing will work out at Auburn. I mean, the, the, the schedules change. I'm referencing an, an Alabama potential annual opponent and a Georgia annual opponent. I think all of these things change. There were, there were times where Tennessee would have liked to have, have kept Alabama on the schedule because they were dominating Alabama, right? Um, they would not like Georgia on the schedule now, but there was times when they would because they were dominating Georgia. So I think things change. and I think there's a natural ebb and flow, and I wouldn't make these decisions too hastily if I'm an athletic department or if I'm Nick Saban. I think you're right. I think Nick Saban has a tougher road to hoe with, with the three you mentioned and the three that Georgia mentioned, but – Florida is going to be back. Kentucky is going to no, be. No, they're not. <laughs> well, I, I think at some point, whether or not, I mean, I, I just don't think they'll be average. It may not. It may be after Billy Napier's gone, but I'm thinking if Kirby Smart's going to be there for a decade. Okay, so at some point, Florida is going to be relevant again, right? You would think. Look, Florida. Florida's an overrated job. I, I'm going to say that. Now it's an overrated job because you're competing with Florida state and Miami and now even UCF in recruiting. So even though there's a lot of talent in the sunshine state, there's so much competition for that talent. So I don't think getting back to the, I'm going to answer the question because I ask you to. So to be fair, I do not think that Nick Saban is scared. I think that he is planning forward and I think he's planning for the four planning forward for the day that he's not going to be around okay so that may be three four five years and whoever replaces him is probably not going to be as good of a coach so so then they have to play auburn lsu and tennessee every year i don't think he's scared per se i think he would like it to be a little bit easier because I, i think when he views it realistically he's probably got what one championship left in him maybe two. I bet if I put the over under at one and a half, you would take the under, right? Yeah, I would take the under. Yeah. I, I the mean, under. 
arguably, if I put it at a half, you might take the under. I take I take the over then. Alabama's recruiting okay. class this year was uh, is on a tear. So okay, so we're in the same page. So he squeaks out one more over the next five years. I think he would like for the schedule to be slightly easier, but I also think he's thinking about long term. I think at some point, Nick Saban, from the people I talked to, ha- ha- was a mercenary. Most coaches are mercenaries, guys. I think you have something unusual if you're a Tennessee fan right now. I think Josh Heupel likes being around Tennessee, appreciates the fact that they took a chance on him, and he's not a mercenary coach. But I say that with very, very little conviction, okay? Because I think most coaches are mercenary coaches. Would you agree with that, Caleb? Absolutely, they're mercenary coaches. Yeah. I mean, I think there are Tom Osborne's and there are Philip Fulmer's who have ties to their school and they want to stay there forever. I think Nick Saban has turned into that after Texas made a run and he, he he said, no, I want to stay at Alabama. I think that he's gotten involved with, you know, there were the tornado issues. He's gotten involved with helping the town of Tuscaloosa and the Alabama area. I think his wife's very involved. So I don't think he's scared for himself. I think he looks forward and, and says, if I'm an A-plus coach and Alabama just gets a B coach, that he's going to struggle with those three permanent opponents. I don't think he's scared for him. I think he's scared for the future of Alabama football. And I give him a ton, a ton of credit because I don't think most coaches care what happens to their school after they're gone. I think that Florida could have been hit with a nuclear bomb after Urban Meyer left, and he wouldn't have cared at all. I think Nick Saban cares. So I don't think he's scared but I think he's well thought out for the future. I hope I'm not sidestepping the question, Caleb. What do you think? No, I agree. I agree. I think Saban, I think Saban is reaching a level of his life where he, he, his legacy of his, of his success is established. And I think he's looking at what's left after me. So I think Nick Saban, for instance, is very proud of his coaching tree. You know who he has every right. He should be proud of Kirby smart and people like that. I think the last step to Nick Saban cementing his legacy is making sure Alabama doesn't have what happened to it after Bear Bryant retired, which is, as we know, Alabama had no real plan for 30 years after that. They did get a national title in 92 with Gene Stallings. It was suspicious. There was some, seemed like there was a lot of low-key cheating going on (laughs) during that time period with Alabama. Um, But I, I do think that Saban wants to make sure that doesn't happen to Alabama again. And he knows, unlike LSU or Georgia, Alabama is not just immune to any head coach. Alabama is a, it's a top 10 program, but it's a second tier program, which is to say that to be a national title program, there has to be some good coaching there. You can't just plug a, some old jock gym teacher in as head of the program and win a national title in Alabama. No. And look at what Travis says. Uh, 2024 is his last year. I don't think that's the case, but it might be. But then I think Travis encapsulates a lot of uh, SEC fans thinking when he says, I'm here for it. I hope Alabama burns to the ground. (laughs) Well, I think a lot of, I think a lot of people think that. And I think that Nick Saban thinks that that there's a real possibility of that being the case because who were the natural coaches to step in Mario Cristobal, who I like a little bit more than you, but I don't think it's a natural. Yeah, I'm laughing. Hey, he's, I'm laughing that you yeah, said that. Yeah, you're not a crystal ball guy, and that's fine. The 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 guy at suddenly his name escapes me. Michigan State. We we thought Mel Tucker. It 
Yeah, Mel Tucker, we thought at one point after two seasons ago that he was the guy that could step in and whenever Nick Saban retired. All of these names, I could go on and on well, Alabama and on. Fans, Alabama fans think they can get Dabo away from Clemson because of because he went there. They okay. can't. Clemson, it's, Dabo's got the sweetest gig possible right yeah. now. <laughs> well, okay, so as a matter of fact, let me take that a step further. So maybe they could have gotten Dabo five to seven years ago. I would debate that, but they certainly can't now. Okay, I don't think there's any way they get him now. Uh, They also aren't going to get Kirby Smart, who has Alabama ties, but played for Georgia. So who's the successor to keep this even at a championship level? I don't know who that guy is. They could go hire a Tucker. (laughs) Yeah, they could go hire a Tucker or a Cristobal. And I know that for a fact that both of those guys were really high up on Alabama's list if if Nick Saban decided to retire. I know that for a fact. But I don't think they're that high up there now. So Nick Saban may not be scared about his future. He may squeeze out another championship. But I think he's gotten so tight with the University of Alabama and that state that he's not a mercenary coach. It's going to show up at LSU. It's going to show up for the Miami Dolphins that he does care. And I think he's thinking about long term. And right now, without a successor in place, you better make that schedule as easily as humanly possible. And neither of his coordinators this year we believe in as head coaches long term. I mean, Tommy Reese, I'm not a believer in from Notre Dame, but also Kevin Steele. Kevin Steele is not head coach material. He's just not. So, no. No, that, those weren't even in my, in my thinking. <laughs> what about Lane Kiffin? Lane Kiffin coming from Ole Miss over to Alabama when Saban retires. Now, that I- would be something to watch. I specifically ask that question with people that have knowledge of, of the, the athletic department, and that's just not a thing. It's not even Alabama would not. Yeah, if Nick Saban retires tomorrow, somebody that covers Alabama will put out a list of top ten coaches that you should keep an eye on. Well, I've written those lists; they're completely made up at that point. There's no way in 24 hours you have the athletic director's ear. So you're, he will be on that list, but he is not going to be a factor. In the coaching search, four downs brought to you by Campbell Cunningham, Taylor, and Han. Local vision is just done incredibly well. Look at me. I had my LASIK. I can see far, I can see close. It's awesome. Cataract surgeries as well. And with the local vision center, they will take you just to another level in terms of their customer service, which I'm really big on. And local, local, local. I've mentioned this before. I had surgery on a Friday night. The doctor called me on Sunday night to tell me how I'm doing. I thought that was pretty darn awesome. So Caleb thinks he's scared. I think Nick Saban's fearful for the future of Alabama football. But for the record, my God, Caleb Calhoun calling out an all-time legend. It's it's brutal, Caleb. You're just... Well, I'm not accusing – he's scared, but I'm not accusing him of running. Like, Urban Meyer got scared and ran. He bolted Florida. And you will not convince me otherwise that he bolted the minute he realized Alabama was going to be in his way in the future. I don't That's think Nick Saban true. would do that. It's very true. All right, so let's talk some conference realignment. Colorado, Arizona to the Big 12. Let's think macro, big picture. Can there be three big conferences for the long term or just two? I think you and I both agreed that the Big Ten and the SEC would be like the ALNL in baseball. 
Nowadays, you've got the Big 12 that's not going away. And if they pick up Colorado and Arizona, it's significant gets in terms of they're somewhat regional, but they're also good TV markets. So can there be three big conferences for the long term or just two? How does that shake out? What's better for the SEC? What's better for the SEC members? Your thoughts? Because the Big 12, credit them. They are putting up a fight. They are. I think I think there's room for three now because I think both the SEC and the Big Ten have gotten caught making some missteps the past year or two. And I think we're seeing that now. We're seeing that Greg Sinke had I, – I, I question Greg Sinke's leadership to a certain degree. And I'm definitely questioning – what Kevin Warren did with the Big Ten, you know, signing contracts and not realizing there were stipulations that would violate the contracts he signed with the TV networks. And I think the Big 12, look, the Big 12 is the, their new commissioner. I forget he was a former sports agent, right? And he is very forward thinking. He understands that he has a lesser product to sell. And his commitment is to making the product more entertaining in other ways because of that. That's why you're seeing, they're going to try some things that aren't going to work. But the fact that they're trying tells me that he's trying to think creatively. Like, I don't think the football games in Mexico is going to work. I don't. I, but it's I, – I applaud the effort, quite honestly. And I think you're seeing with the Big 12 a more aggressive effort to not just go for the bigger brands, not just rest on the laurels, but to say, okay, how do we make the brands we have, how do we make them more entertaining in a certain way? And I think that actually is going to play well in the future. Will we see whether it's the Big 12 or whatever remains out of the Pac-12, 10, 8, will we see somebody do goofy stuff like the XFL? I was wondering this last night during a battle of insomnia before our 3.30 a.m. production meeting. Will we see anybody try goofy stuff? Will we see somebody uh, have, I mean, why not? I mean, there's no NCAA. So what if the one of the changes I liked with this XFL and, and other things that they did is instead of the onside kick, since you really don't have an onside kick anymore because the rules on kickoffs, one of the things that I did like is you have to convert a fourth and 15 from your own 30 as a possible way to get an extra possession. Could we see the Big 12 or the Pac-10, 8, 6, 14, 12, whatever the heck they end up being, could we see somebody do something goofy, kind of like this is before your time, but ABA style? The ABA had the three-pointer. The ABA had other things. They had the pretty ball. They had all this other stuff that made them more exciting and made them relevant and eventually got them included into NBA expansion. Could we see any of that from a Big 12 or Pac-whatever? Well, at this point, let's be clear. It's a Big 12. If Colorado and Arizona join the Big 12, Pac-12 is dead. They can't get a TV right. deal now. Yeah. Right. But if if they somehow cobbled things together, would it be in their best interest or would it seem circus silly? We're going – some of it will be circus silly, but some of it will work. I, I, I think there's going to be some creative ideas that will work. Now, Look, I'll be honest. Some some things will seem like good ideas at the time that were terrible ideas. When the XFL started and they had the whole place the ball at midfield and two players had to fight over it, I actually loved that idea until a season-ending injury happened. <laughs> yeah, but it only took like the first weekend. A guy dislocated the shoulder. <laughs> yeah, so I – but but that's the thing. There are going to be things that – like I've always liked the idea of if you can kick it through the goalpost on a kickoff, you get an extra point. 
Like that's another point for you. If, if it go, if you, if on a kickoff the ball goes through the goalpost, it's a, it's an extra point for your team. But like little things like that, I, I think they will. And I think, again, I think this is why. By the way, I pulled up his name. The Big Twelve Commissioner is Brett Yormark. He was with Rock Nation. By the way, he took over NASCAR. He was head of marketing for NASCAR in '98. And I don't know if people remember because NASCAR has completely fallen off the map, but. NASCAR in the early 2000s seemed like it was really going to start competing with the NFL and Major League Baseball. It was monstrous. Monstrous. Yeah. Yes. And that was when he was in charge of marketing. So this guy knows what he's doing with the Big 12. And I think he knows their second fiddle. Their payouts from the new TV deal is in the high 40s, I think low 50 millions. Guys, that gets close to SEC and Big 10 payout levels, even though it's nowhere near as valuable of a brand. So I think you're going to see the Big 12 try to use creativity to try to catch up with the big 10 and the sec. And that might keep them afloat. Now the wild card is, I think the big 12 is going to gobble up a lot of the pac 12 teams. The wild card is what's going to happen when the ACC inevitably collapses, which is going to happen yes. in short order. And the pac 12 is going to collapse too. You're going to have a hodgepodge of teams that everybody wants. And I don't know if the big 10 and the sec are going to try to expand it like 20 or 25 teams at that point. And I don't know if there's room for three conferences if the Big Ten and the SEC each have 25 teams. That just seems like a lot. But maybe there is. Maybe there is room for three mega conferences. Okay, so I want to run down as we talk conference realignment because there's there's a couple of programs in here that I would like to see be able to make the jump from the group of five teams to the uh, Power Five group. And, and I think there's going to be some opportunity there for, for teams to be able to do so. So let me throw some of these at you and you tell me if they're good power five teams or not, because right now let's face it, being in the group of five every year, you're going to, whereas Tennessee or South Carolina or whoever can look at this upcoming playoff era and say, Hey, you could go nine and three and still make the playoff, still win a national championship. Well, these group of five teams aren't on the same playing field i mean they're gonna have to go pretty close to undefeated they're gonna have to make noise to get attention over the other group of five teams so there is a huge challenge that they have to face that the power five teams don't have to face so uh, we have a ranking of the best group of uh, five teams of the playoff era and i want to run through some of these and ask you a double question one could they one day become a power five team? And two, should they? Should they even hold up uh, hope for that? So we've got Cincinnati, Houston, uh, UCF, and BYU. They're in the power five. And I want to take a look at some other programs, if we can, uh, that are in that running. So is there any other one team right now that you look at and you say to yourself, that needs to be a power five team. They have done enough outside of Cincinnati, Houston, UCF, and BYU. Yes, and I've been screaming this to the high heavens, particularly now if the Pac-12 wants to stay afloat, this is the move they make. San Diego State, because there's no power five, there's no market right now in San Diego. USC and UCLA are the LA markets. And UNLV. Guys, pro teams are relocating to Vegas for a reason. I actually think the Big 12 is making a mistake. Now, I would add, I think UNLV in the Power 5 has more valuable brand than any Arizona, either Arizona team. I think that's an underrated brand. A lot of kids like to go to UNLV because you get to go to college in Vegas. 
And with sports gambling taken off, I just I think UNLV is just a low key, very underrated Power Five potential program. Let me throw some other ones at you that have had success recently. Navy, eleven win no. team in 2015. I don't think that's sustainable. I don't either. I and they, I think they've they, got a pretty they got a pretty special thing going on anyway, right? And they're never ever going to recruit kids who go there to primarily play football. They go there for other reasons, which Agreed. we respect, but yeah, no. Agreed. Portions of the program brought to you by Vassy Lawn and Garden. Man Alive is worth the drive. Vassy Lawn and Garden, whether it's commercial, industrial mowers from Nashville, Knoxville, Chattanooga, make the drive to Cleveland, Tennessee with their buying power. They can save you a ton of money, thousands or tens of thousands of dollars. Toro, count on it. Memphis, your hometown, back in... Uh, 2019, it looked like they were going to be really, really relevant for a long time. Had a good run of offensive coaches. And now we're kind of, eh, what do you think of Memphis? Could they ever make the jump? It's not where Memphis is relative from now to 2019. The issue with Memphis is what they did in the 90s. Because if you remember, Memphis was on par with Louisville and Cincinnati. Well, Mm -hmm. Louisville and Cincinnati, even though all three were basketball schools, but you know this, Louisville with hiring Howard Schellenberger. Louisville had a 25-year plan to become a football school first, and they spent a lot of time and effort doing that, and so did Cincinnati. Memphis decided, I kid you not, this was R.C. Johnson, the incredibly stupid athletic director from the time, said, we're going to be a basketball school first, and the way we'll get our football revenue is we'll schedule these games against all these other SEC teams who have fan bases in Memphis, so then we can have people come to the games when they play Memphis, but we don't really care about football. And then in the 2010s, they decided to invest in football, but guess what? It's too late. Because you have these other programs, Houston, Louisville, Cincinnati, who have been investing in football for 25, 30 years now and are way ahead of the curve. So I think because of that, I don't think Memphis can make the jump now. I think they got way, I think they were way too late to the, to the party. Now, fair. Uh, Western Michigan, good season in 2016. You stop me when you think this should be a power five uh, team. No. <laughs> um, and. As far as other programs, Coastal Carolina? No. Just having being good at the group of five level is not enough to be power five. You have to prove that you have resources that make you sustainable and bring in revenue at the power five level. Coastal Carolina and Western Michigan aren't going to ever be that, ever. That's never going to happen. So if we come to the point where it's just not going to happen, if you're a power five team, you're not going to make the jump. We've seen the Cincinnati, Houston's, UCFs, and BYU, they've made it. Are we at the point? I mean, the the train is leaving the station as far as conference realignment, and it's leaving dad blame fast. And I don't know that you can get on board at this point in the game as of early June 2023. I think there are five schools that can, there are six schools, I think, that can maybe, maybe more, maybe seven, that, that could roughly get in there. I mentioned San Diego State and UNLV. I think Colorado State's an underrated brand. I mean, I know Colorado's there, but Colorado State's actually a really underrated brand for its level. Sure. And then on the and then east of the Mississippi, it's a TV market. So South South Florida, UCF's already there. USF could be there because they're in Tampa. Temple, UConn, even though UConn has been vacillating. And then and then after that, I will say Memphis and Tulane, because the Memphis market and the New Orleans markets are valuable markets. And somebody might be interested in those. Not the SEC because the SEC already has the Memphis and New Orleans markets, and they don't need a team there to have those markets. But you might see the Big 12 go for those. 
Fair enough. Can I double up on what the H? Because this uh, just coming down the pike recently, and uh, Rebecca pointed that out. I'm a little confused and flustered and not happy. What the? What was he thinking? Release the hounds. The Dave Hooker Show. Keep cool. A presentation of OffTheHookSports.com. Brought to you by City Heating and Air Conditioning. We have the destination for the Diamond Vols. Tennessee baseball team is in the NCAA Super Regionals for the third straight year, and they'll hit the road to try to get into the College World Series. They're going to Hattiesburg, Mississippi for a three-game Super Regional Series against Southern Miss. Series will begin on Saturday. At 3 o'clock, Game 1 will be broadcast on ESPNU. Game 2 will take place on Sunday, yet to be determined time. If necessary, the decisive Game 3 will be held on Monday, June the 12th. Thoughts on Tennessee being on the road? Well, uh, shout out to Caleb Jaru, who was on here earlier. He has posted about this. All the analytical data when comparing teams shows Tennessee should be hosting over Southern Miss. This is but about last year. It, it it's about two. Th- it's about a few things. It's about last year, but also Southern Miss has about a thousand more seats than Lindsey Nelson Stadium, so they feel like they can fill they can make more money with Southern Miss hosting. And Southern Miss head coach Scott Barry is retiring at the end of the year. I think that's what this is about. Okay. Well, first, it shouldn't be determined on venue. Sorry, no. just it shouldn't. Second, it certainly shouldn't be determined on a guy retiring. Um, that, that to me, I'm not arguing with, with you, and this isn't a knock against you, Kale, but that those are both stupid reasons. <laughs> I mean, oh, they're terrible are. reasons. Yeah. But Tennessee has learned, I don't know if you remember this, um, the year Tennessee beat Florida in the swamp and lost to LSU in football, Florida got the BCS wildcard invite over Tennessee that year. And the reason that happened was because of the two years before when Tennessee played Nebraska in the Fiesta Bowl. I don't know if you remember that game, Dave. Nebraska way outperformed Tennessee in terms of their fan bases at that game. Tennessee did not fill the stadium because they were upset about being not being in the national championship game again. And it was like three quarters Nebraska fans at that game. Which game were we talking about? The Fiesta Bowl the year after the national championship game. Yeah, I was I was at that game. Saw uh, that was Y2K. Saw Billy Idol perform as the clock struck midnight into 2000. Um, so was it? Was did it look the way it sounded? Was it overwhelmingly Nebraska fans there? Yeah, I don't remember it being. Uh, that's been a long time ago. I don't remember it being overwhelming, but I remember that clearly that Nebraska had the advantage. If I had a dive into the memory banks, I'd say 60, 40, 70, 30, which is that's pretty close to overwhelming, um, especially considering Tennessee travels. So, well, my my issue with this is that it, it seems almost as if, yeah, I don't like really the way NCAA baseball is run. I will just I, I'll say that I, I, I think they do things where they overthink things for publicity's sake. Um, you mentioned the Big 12 commissioner. I yeah, he's doing some different things. I got respect for what he does. I feel like that NCAA baseball should be on that point. It, it should be beyond having to schedule someplace for a thousand more tickets. It should be beyond having to schedule someplace because it's a coach's last year at the program and he's about to step down. 
this to me should be more about fairness. We would be absolutely up in arms if this were the a similar situation in the NCAA basketball tournament, right? I mean, we would oh, be absolutely. Up in arms. Yeah, but this is this is going to happen, by the way, with the college football playoff, the expanded playoff. There's going to be so much politicking over who gets to play a home game that first weekend. It's a great it's a great point, because would you rather let, let's say Tennessee and Cincinnati are just, for instance, the matchup. Would you rather have a home game at Neyland Stadium or a home game at Cincinnati? Yeah, so that's it would be at Neyland. Yeah, and it's going to benefit Tennessee and the big SEC schools more than not but in this particular case with baseball it it doesn't benefit tennessee as a matter of fact it hurts tennessee and i think that's incredibly disappointing i i'm okay with a little politicking in football because i do believe that the better team wins in football curious if you agree with this more times than any other sport the better team wins in football more than any other sport right there's there's less randomness in football than any other sport by far yep Right. You don't get a dominant goalie. You don't get a dominant pitcher. You don't get a hot three point shooting team in other sports. Um, you know, hockey, baseball, and hockey, hockey is random in general. <laughs> yeah. One guy, can, one guy can get hot in the Stanley Cup playoffs at, at goalie and it's over. I mean, yep. they could even sweep. So I, that, that, but to me, this is still a factor. It's a huge factor in baseball. I think that have having the fans on your side is a big factor. And if Southern Miss ends up winning the series, kudos to them. But you're not going to be able to tell me at the end of the day it wasn't partly because it was at home. Yeah. Well, and, and I get people would say how Tennessee behaved last year. The morality of it maybe made people maybe made the committee want Southern Miss to host. The only reason I don't buy that as much is that from a morality perspective, Southern Miss may be the most unpopular school in the nation right now. I mean, this is the school that stole welfare money in Mississippi to build a volleyball stadium on behalf yes. of Brett Favre. Yeah, I think Brett Favre yeah. is a part of that as well. I it Just, just yes. to me, I mean, I'm not going to pretend to be, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I'm a college football phenom, that I know, or sorry, a college baseball um, expert. Maybe Southern Miss is a great place to have a game. Tennessee, I know, is a great place to have a game based off what we saw last year, right? I mean, all eyes were on that Notre Dame series. True. True. I agree. It's a a much better place. But, you know, again, I mean, look, we know this. Lindsey Nelson is about to undergo some renovations, right? Because they need new work done. And maybe Southern Miss is just in – I mean, again, when you're stealing from the state's welfare funds, you could probably build some nice stadiums. So maybe the baseball stadium was nicer, too. <laughs> Portions of the program brought to you by City Heating and Air Conditioning, cityheatandair.com. Over 50 years in business, cityheatandair.com. They are awesome. So certainly check them out. You will love them. And maybe your unit doesn't need to be replaced, just a part or some coolant at cityheatandair.com integrity matters 50 years of service in east tennessee east caleb calhoun i'm dave hooker this has been a presentation of off the hook sports it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer a hand clapper a high fiver 
I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.